We cannot be present in Gethsemane to witness all that occurred there, but we can earn our own witness if we will proactively seek it. In truth, conversion can come in no other way. Like Peter, our conversion to Christ should deepen through the entirety of our lives as we leave behind our own sin and despair and follow Him. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I can be a witness of the atonement of our Savior Jesus Christ by being kind to anyone around me with my words and actions. I can be a witness to the atonement of Jesus Christ by helping to be a good example of Him, um, by not judging others and just unconditionally loving and welcoming everyone. I can be a witness by just living the morals and the, the standards that I've been raised with and just um, I try my best to follow those every day. The atonement is individual to me um, because I feel He's um, love for me um, and my family. It's really comforting to know that Christ knows me personally. I just am able to feel happy and safe knowing that He can help me through any situation that I go through. It means that I do not have to face my trials alone, that all of my trials become opportunities for growth and development, and they don't have to weigh me down. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our Gospel Scholar for today is Janet Erickson. Dr. Erickson is an Associate Professor in the Department of Church History and Doctrine in BYU's Religious Education Program. She received her PhD in Family Social Science from the University of Minnesota and is a columnist for Deseret News. She lives in American Fork, Utah, with her husband, Michael, and their two children. Janet, welcome. Love being here. Thanks, Ben. And our special guest today is Mark L. Pace. President Pace is currently serving as the Sunday School General President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome, President Pace. Thank you, Ben. Nice to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And to each of you at home, thank you for joining us in today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 18. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, the Savior suffered for me in Gethsemane, and second, long-lasting conversion is a lifelong process. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Janet and President Pace in footnotes. Okay, Janet, as we jump into our first topic, the Savior suffered for me in Gethsemane, what sort of uh, background or historical context can you provide within these chapters? Ah, oh, Ben, this is the most significant week in all of history. And it's so remarkable to think of the Jewish traditions and feasts that we're preparing them for this week. And so, of course, what you have is Passover has started. Mm -hmm. And the very first day of Passover, the family is asked to bring a lamb into their home and, and see that it's without blemish and become close to that lamb. That would naturally happen. So the Savior has entered into Jerusalem. 
paralleling just as those families were bringing the lamb into their homes. And so this feast is prepared and here the savior comes and he's going to have this, this last supper with his apostles. And so just after this meal, he takes them into Gethsemane, which is the place of the oil press, Semani oil, Geth press. And so it's a garden of, of olive trees. And oh. here in this place where, where the Israelites have used the olive for everything, for food, for light, for heat, for the, the temple, that menorah that holds the olive oil, the posts on the outside of the temple that are made of olive trees. And the, the olive matters so much. I don't know if there's a more powerful symbol of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Healing, it's used as balm for healing. It's used in every way to bless physically, spiritually, right? This powerful symbol of the Savior going here to teach us all the power that his atonement has in our lives. That's a beautiful explanation. Thank you. President Pace, why is it important for us to understand that the Savior did suffer while he was in the garden? And what should we take from that? Well, we, we, we know that uh, his, uh, his atonement uh, accomplished a, a number of things, but specifically the, uh, the resurrection made possible, the resurrection, which we'll get into more other weeks, but also the redemption that we could be free of our sins. If we look at these verses here in Luke chapter 22, it's uh, profound to see what happened as he was in, in the garden. And certainly there's nothing that we can say, there's nothing that we can add today to the majesty and the sacredness of what occurred there. But the Holy Ghost can bear testimony to us now and again and again each Sunday of the truthfulness of what he did. Uh, I'm, I'm touched by these scriptures in verse 41, that he knelt down and prayed. Verse 42, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. His will was this, but he accepted the Father's will. And that's a great example to us. Verse 43, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. The burden wasn't taken away. The challenge wasn't taken away, but he was strengthened to be able to bear the burden and the suffering. And then verse 44, when he was in great agony, what did he do? He prayed more earnestly, which is a great example. All of these verses teach us how we can meet life's challenges and, and the profound sacrifice that the Savior made for us on that occasion. I would love to hear from the audience, how does knowing about the suffering the Savior went through strengthen your relationship with him? Robbie. You know, to be a Christian, I think, does involve, you know, that, uh, that confrontation with with suffering in life, you know, and with uh, with with all the trials that we always talk about in church and everything, and uh, we we hear everyone's, you know, sadness and and grief, and we mourn with those that mourn, you know, and and there's something about following that example that for me uh, resonates as a as a kind of symbol of of the the ultimate heroic, uh, selfless person, you know, who is strengthened from heaven to, to bear the, the 
sins and the trials and the suffering of, of all of his fellow uh, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Robbie, for sharing that with us. Janet, what can you add to this conversation about the importance of understanding and knowing that Christ suffered for us as individuals? Oh, ben, I, Robbie, I'm so impressed by just these thoughts of suffering because I think that is the human condition, is loss and suffering. And if I think about my own life, sin is so often a way of responding to suffering. It's trying to get out of suffering in a way that's painful and damaging to us. And that what the Savior does is He changes our relationship to suffering by sharing it with us. So we have in, in these verses in Alma 7, I know present pace, and I both love these verses where it says He took upon Himself. If we look at Alma 7, He shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, and He will take upon Him death that He may loose the bands of death which bind his people, and he will take upon him their infirmities, sicknesses, when we suffer physically, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. And I don't think there's anything more powerful than knowing he communes with me personally. He knows what I felt. He knows why I did what I did. He knows the, the suffering that I'm experiencing in the moment, and he shares it with me. He willingly shared it with me. And it's as if that's where the power of healing comes, in that communion with him who overcame it. He leads me out of my suffering into a place where all things can be turned to good, because in it, I can be made more like him, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love. Those become, become like him myself. So it's a beautiful thing to watch how the Savior changes our suffering because He communed so personally with each of us in that suffering. He changes our way of experiencing it so that it can become goodness like He was. And these verses teach us that. You know, growing up, I, I thought that the Savior overcame sin and He overcame death, mm -hmm. and He did. But these verses teach us that it, there's even more that's involved there, that he suckers us according to our infirmities, our weaknesses. He helps us with our weaknesses. And then he's also taken upon himself pains and sicknesses. Well, I'm getting older. I have more sicknesses. And I can't tell you how comforting it is that whatever I might feel or feel in the future, to know that the Savior has felt it and has carried it and that I don't have to carry it alone. And the Savior's atonement isn't just for when I die to be resurrected, and it's not just to help me repent, of which I'm so grateful, but it's also to help me in the everyday things of sicknesses and challenges and worries and concerns and heartaches of life, that he's felt them, he's carried them, and he helps me. President Pace, when did you first start to realize or recognize that the suffering that Christ went through was individual for you? Ben, I think for me, you say, when did I first? I think it was, has been a process, but my understanding of that and my feeling of that grows week by week as I'm in sacrament meeting and partake of the sacrament. And I think about that it talks about uh, that I'll remember him and that I'll take his name upon me and keep his commandments. 
And I realized that that's between him and me. And, and it's just every week and every week and every week and, and, and the Spirit teaches us and grows us and, and uh, it's become more and more personal to me. It continues to become more and more personal to me, but the sacrament is so central to that whole experience of making the Savior's suffering and atonement in Gethsemane personal and a blessing to me today and every day. Uh, we have a wonderful quote speaking uh, about what you were talking about, mm -hmm. how it is an individual personal thing. He said, for many years, I thought the Savior's experience in the garden and on the cross as places where a large mass of sin was heaped upon him. My view has changed. Instead of an impersonal mass of sin, there was a long line of people as Jesus felt our infirmities, bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and was bruised for our iniquities. The atonement was an intimate, personal experience in which Jesus came to know how to help each of us. And has there been a moment for you, Janet, where you've realized that the atonement was more about uh, trying to be forgiven our sins and that yeah. it is a very personal thing to you? Yeah, so, such a beautiful question, Ben. I, I feel like, and maybe you feel this way, President Nelson's emphasis on the covenant path, it, covenant means relationship. He established a relationship with me. And I think I often thought of the atonement as at one moment lifting me up, which it is that. Mm -hmm. But the at one moment was his willingness to come down to me and make himself at one with me in my journey and my experience, and then lift me up from that. So I, I love how in, I love in Alma 34, verse 14, it says, this is the whole meaning of the law, every whit pointing to that great and last sacrifice. So here the Passover for a thousand 700 years, you know, 600 years has been pointing them to this, this moment in Gethsemane. And then it says this, it's so beautiful. And thus he shall bring salvation to all those who shall believe on his name. And then it says, this being the intent of the sacrifice to bring about the bowels of mercy, which overpowereth justice and bringeth about means unto men that they may have faith. And then it says, and thus mercy can satisfy the demands of justice and encircles them in the arms of safety. I have felt that in my sins, my weaknesses, my suffering, that he literally establishes a relationship of perfect at-one-ment with me and safely overcomes justice by his mercy in my behalf, encircling me in the arms of safety. It's it's a miracle. It's just a miracle. So much love. Thanks, Janet. How has your increased understanding of the atonement strengthened your relationship with Jesus Christ? Christina. I was so touched by in Alma where Janet asked us to turn, um, where it says that mercy overcame justice. And it's very easy for us to look at justice and good and bad and black and white and to ourselves become judgmental of others and in turn judge ourselves and because of the atonement and that relationship that, that we can build with our Savior there's nothing in this life that we cannot overcome and also that we cannot turn to others 
and love them unconditionally and know that they can overcome all of their trials. And it is not our responsibility to judge them, but only to love them and to help turn them to the Savior as well. And recognize that all of our trials in this life truly are a gift because it is an opportunity for us to turn and grow closer to the Savior. What beautiful words, Christina. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what a great way to to wrap up this first discussion topic uh, that Christ did suffer for us as individuals. And in Gethsemane, it was for you and it was for me. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts and insights and experiences with us. And for the audience, thank you so much as well for sharing uh, with us today on our first topic. And for those at home, what does it mean to you that the Savior's atonement was individual and specific for you? Share with us online. I think the difference between testimony and conversion is that testimony is what you know to be true, and conversion is kind of the process that you go through to get to that point. To me, in a way, a testimony is your outward, uh, your outward vocal acknowledgement of what you believe, where your conversion is very personal, very inward. A testimony is something you like, sort of believe and know to be true and have witnessed, but conversion is more of like an action word and you act upon your testimony and you show and live the way that your testimony is. For me, I have tried to make sure that I am working on my testimony and conversion by not just doing the checklist items of reading my scriptures and saying my prayers, um, but trying to develop my relationship with my Savior. I know that I'm constantly on that path of conversion when I am keeping the commandments and doing those little things every single day. I can have that assurance that I know that I'm doing what Christ would want me to do. The second topic we're going to discuss today is long-lasting conversion is a lifelong process. Janet, I'm going to turn it over to you again oh. and just give us a little background and uh, as to how this topic fits into these chapters. Ben, we get to talk about Peter. Mm -hmm. You and I both love Peter. <laughs> love Peter. And I think Peter is so remarkable because we hear more, in a sense, about him than the other apostles. We see these exchanges that he has with the Savior. He's rebuked more times than anyone. He's. You remember when he says, come, uh, the Savior says, come, bids him to come onto the water because Peter wants to come. And then and then he says, what happened to your faith, Peter? Right? And and we see these multiple, get thee behind me. Satan is another reference mm -hmm. where, where Peter, we see these interchanges and it's as if all of us are Peter. Like the New Testament is giving us this beautiful, this window into our personal growth as we watch the Lord the Savior tutor Peter over time and Peter's responses and Peter's growing. And then we see him, the Savior's taken. He stands outside the hall where the Savior is tried by the Sanhedrin, by the rulers of the Jews. And Peter denies knowing him. Three times he denies knowing him. And we're left with this, oh, what happened, mm -hmm. right? What happened? And of course, we'll talk about how before that, the Savior talks to him about conversion. He knows this is going to happen. And he gives Peter a view of being able to change and grow still, even though he will deny the Savior knowing him. President Pace, as we talk about Peter's denial, um, there could be a tendency to be a little critical of Peter in this moment. What can you 
uh, tell us about Peter uh, from this experience and why we should, I don't know if I want to say cut him some slack, but just be a little more understanding of uh, Peter at this moment. It's, it's an interesting thing to consider, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that I'm not in Peter's class. So far be it from me to ever say anything unkind about Peter uh, in this situation or what happened to him and mm -hmm. what he was going through and, and what happened that day. I, uh, I, uh, I'm touched by what the Savior said here in Luke 22, 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Certainly that applies to all of us. And then 32, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And then 34, he talks about how you'll deny me three times. I was touched by this. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. And because of that, I know that you will be converted. And when you're converted, go do this. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, uh, I have much to learn from Peter. And anytime any of us live maybe a little bit beneath what we know or how we should, mm -hmm. we're in the same boat the same and boat. we're in the same challenge. You know, at present pace, as you said, we all have those moments where mm -hmm. anytime we go against what we know, that's like our Peter moment, right? Uh, we had a question that came in from one of our viewers that speaks to this, and I would love to get some of your thoughts on it. Hello, my name is Apostolos, and I'm from Cyprus. We know that Peter denied Christ after Christ was betrayed by Judas. How do we build the confidence to accept Christ when it's not the popular thing to do? How do we build confidence to accept Christ when it's not always the popular thing to do. President Pace, what are your thoughts? Well, this is a great question. And whether it's in Cyprus today or anywhere we live today or, or at any time in the history of the world, it has probably often not been the popular thing to do to follow Jesus Christ. So the way to think about this question is probably just to say, how do we build the confidence to accept Christ? It's by reading his word. It's by drawing near to him in prayer. And it's by remembering him and trying to keep his commandments day by day. I like those thoughts. Janet? Ben, it's so beautiful. Um, I was thinking how many times in my life, I think the suffering that's inherent to life can lead us into seeking answers and escape and, and idols that we might have in a sense that are offering us something that we think might answer the yearnings of our soul. And you can't help, I, I think of this so often, Peter's response to the Savior. This is in John chapter six, and it says some of them leave him. They, they go from following the Savior. They're too confused. And he says, will ye also go away? And then how we have this most striking, beautiful answer. I know, Ben, you love this answer too. I love it. <laughs> Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, the only one who can offer us redemption. And so you just think when it's attempting to think, ah, there's some other answer out there. There's some way to get out of this trial. Um, Maybe it's through this or this or this. It's as if he says, will you go away? 
and we can answer, I know or I knew, right? I knew that thou art the Christ and that thou hast the words of eternal life and that you are the living God. You will be my redeemer. You will save me. You do offer the way. You know, and this is, this is early on and it really shows that Peter, he has that, that burning testimony, yet he still has a way to go before he is, he is truly converted. Um, to go back to the audience, uh, thinking about that question that came in uh, from our viewer, what gives you the confidence to continue to follow Jesus Christ when it's not always the popular thing to do? Josh. I think our, our past experiences can move us more to the future. I think as we fully put everything into the gospel, we're going to get out what we, we put into it. I think when we go to church ready to learn uh, with that open mind, then we can grow close to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's not always going to be the most popular thing to do, but it'll be the most important thing that will shape our lives. And I think as we grow more, then I can look back and say, the happiest I've been is when I'm putting everything into the gospel. So I'm going to keep doing that. Mm. Even if friends around me are, are falling and not maybe coming to church anymore, things like that, I keep up my faith in Christ knowing He did this for me in the past. He's promised me I keep His commandments that He will bless me. I'm going to put my faith in Him to keep moving mm. forward. Josh, what role does the Holy Ghost play in your life to help you keep that confidence in following Jesus Christ? I mean, the Holy Ghost is everything to keep that confidence in Him. When I know that I'm following those promptings, I can have the assurance that I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. And it's something that can bring me joy. I think when I know I'm following the Spirit that comes to me through those personal feelings of peace, I know that I'm doing what He wants me to do and I'll grow my faith that way. Thanks, Josh. You know, as we talk about, Peter, this, this process, uh, you know, and our, our second topic is it's a continuous process to really be converted. Uh, Elder Bednar has a wonderful quote that talks about the difference between having a testimony and being converted. He said, for many of us, conversion is an ongoing process and not a one-time event that results from a powerful or dramatic experience. Line upon line and precept upon precept, gradually and almost imperceptibly, our motives, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds become aligned with the will of God. Conversion unto the Lord requires both persistence and patience. Testimony is the beginning and a prerequisite to continuing conversion. Testimony is a point of departure. It is not an ultimate destination. Strong testimony is the foundation upon which conversion is established. What are some of your thoughts as we talk about Peter and his process, trying to differentiate and understand what, what it means to have a testimony and what it means to be truly converted? Ben, my husband is what we call a convert okay. to the church. He joined the church at age 21. And, and we'll talk about that word, what it means to be a convert, right? And his initial testimony, he would say that coming into the light of the gospel was, he had had no faith before that, was like going from night into day. It was a dramatic difference in his life. But the process of conversion, and it's so beautiful, that the Lord's purpose isn't to just leave us as we are. And so he doesn't leave us unconverted and just wipe away our sins. He says that through the presence of my spirit, my presence can be with you, converting you, your nature, your desires, your thoughts, your feelings, the way you relate to other people, the way you relate to yourself. It's changed by that 
infinite gift of the, of the Holy Ghost over a long time. And I know every cell in me has to be remade. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he tells us. If you believe me, you can believe I will work through the power of the Holy Ghost, that conversion in your life, that you will become all you are meant to become. So a convert who has a testimony is beginning that path of conversion Okay. with all of us. President Pace, as we talk about the importance of, of conversion and how it is a process, as the president of the, the Sunday School uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what is the role in the Come Follow Me program to assist individuals and families to become converted? The, the whole goal of Come Follow Me is, in fact, that. That which the Lord encouraged Peter to move forward to, that of conversion. It's a wonderful uh, blessing as the saints are studying the scriptures and having experiences with the Holy Ghost that are changing their hearts, making them new people, bringing them closer to the Savior, fortifying them against temptation, bringing peace into their marriages and their homes and on and on and on. We, we're just so thrilled. Mm-hmm. We're, we're so thrilled <laughs> with what you are doing in your homes and in your lives and studying the scriptures. Whatever your age is, we rejoice with you in the experiences you're having in the Word of God and with the Holy Ghost blessing that experience. And we're just rejoicing, and it matters because conversion matters, and it doesn't happen without our effort because the Lord won't take away our agency. So thank you for using your agency to draw closer to the Savior. Thank you. How important is it for us as, as, as we study Come Follow Me to recognize and understand where the true source is coming from and what we should be focusing on? The fact is, is that the miracle is found in the scriptures. Come Follow Me is a wonderful resource. It's a wonderful study guide. Wonderful, inspired, wonderful. But it is not the scriptures. Pretend like I'm holding Come Follow Me here. It's the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And uh, the miracle happens as we read the scriptures and the Holy Ghost blesses us and inspires us and changes our hearts and, and helps us go forward today and helps us go forward tomorrow. But it's the scriptures. You think about what the Lord, think about what the Lord has done to preserve the scriptures for our use today. Mm-hmm. And there's never been a people on the earth who have had access to the scriptures as much as we do. Think about all this effort to preserve the Old Testament. Think about the effort to preserve the New Testament. Think about the effort to preserve the Book of Mormon. In a hillside, Mm -hmm. 1,400 years, more or less, oh my. And then the Doctrine and Covenants, and then we have the ongoing revelations that come through the prophets, seers, and revelators who live today. The Scriptures, as we read the Scriptures carefully, not in too big of a hurry, we show the Lord that we exercise our agency with the desire to learn and to know of Him and the Holy Ghost blesses us, and the miracle of conversion moves forward in our lives. I love this quote by Elder Cook talking about the importance of uh, gospel learning and, and the role it plays in our conversion. He said, the first page of the individual and family resource points out, the aim of all gospel learning and teaching is to deepen our conversion and help us become more like Jesus Christ. This means relying on Christ to change our hearts. 
This is assisted by reaching beyond a classroom into an individual's heart and home. It requires consistent daily efforts to understand and live the gospel. True conversion requires the influence of the Holy Ghost. And thank you both so very much for sharing your thoughts on our second topic of the lifelong process of conversion. And for the audience, thank you as well for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us today. And for you at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes, so please stay with us. The Spirit communicates to me through feelings of peace. I think a lot of times we think, oh, it's, I'm going to cry or it's going to be a huge experience, but I think it's those little feelings of peace and comfort that we get every day from prayer and scripture study. The Spirit communicates with me um, through music, um, the hymns, and also um, through some ideas that come to my mind. So sometimes I have questions or I have to deal with some problems and the solutions will come. Sometimes for me, the spirit can be just a, a warm feeling or, or a reassurance of you're on the right path, okay, keep going. Then there's some days when maybe I need to make a decision quick where it can be fast and loud and like someone just is telling me, do this now. And I have to listen to that because every time I don't, I make the wrong choice. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from Luke 22 and John 18 with Janet and President Pace. There's so much mm. yet to talk about, mm. which is why I love this part of the show. We can just sit and talk. And uh, I was just kind of curious on what are some of your thoughts as we talk about the role that, that Judas played in, in the betrayal of Christ leading up to some of these events that took place with the atonement. Yeah. It's interesting that the Lord knew, right? He knew he would be betrayed by one who had loved him and been with him. And I think it's deeply meaningful to think of the times in our lives when we experience betrayal in some ways, because we will fail one another in our relationships and others will fail us. And he knows better than anyone what it means to love deeply, to give your life to and then be betrayed by that person. And of course, Judas comes and, and betrays him with a kiss. Mm -hmm. And he says, are you really going to betray me with that, that sign can, can of love that, and friendship? Can we that part of the narrative? Just Let's do it. Paint that picture for us. If we look at Luke chapter 22, verse 47, in the middle of the verse, Judas, one of the 12, went before him and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Like this is an ultimate betrayal. Yes, the know? ultimate and betrayal. There are so many ways where we can look back and say, man, he really does. As we read him in Alma 7, he really does understand and know what I go through so that he can, you sucker know, sucker. Me. Absolutely. That's interesting, Ben, um, to have Judas as an example of that betrayal. And then if we look at Pilate, right? This this interesting other, the other kinds of experiences we might have with people in mortality. I'm just looking at the bottom of 33. Of course, you've had the Savior enter Jerusalem to shouts of, of praise and Hosanna, save us. And then we're going to see those, some of those very same people call out that he be crucified mm -hmm. within the same week. Wow. And to think that we can do that. We can rejoice sort of when things are good and then be deeply confused when things seem not to be. And almost like they're so ashamed to have this 
Messiah, that they had proclaimed the Messiah, then be wrapped in a purple robe and mocked by their enslavers, their right, the, the Romans, that they just in shame retreat. Oh, yeah. right. That's not the king. That's not our king, right? Our king would look so different. And then, of course, the Savior says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, right, you can bet <laughs> I would be king, yeah. right? And and to know this is a an entirely different world, that redemption will come in a far deeper and more profound, what we, what we most deeply yearn for. So interesting, Pilate's learning what the Jews themselves could not, right, accept. You know, and I love this, this conversation that Pilate and Jesus have. Mm. What do we learn from this encounter? Anything from this encounter with Pilate uh, that stands out to you that we want to dive into and look at a little deeper? I'm impressed with his last statement there. Well, it's not his last statement, but where he says, I find in him no fault at all. Yeah. And yet they're calling I, on his crucifixion. I imagine that he is grateful uh, for these things that he said that he found no fault in the Savior. Mm -hmm. He allowed the Jews to do what the Jews wanted to do, but obviously he was learning of the Savior and feeling things about him. Mm. Yeah. But the process went forward and the sacrifice yeah. that was going to be made was made. Uh, you know, the, uh, the atonement... Uh, wasn't completed until the morning of the resurrection. Mm. So the process of the atonement is still continuing to go on. But uh, these, in, here in Luke 22, these verses where it talks about what happened uh, as the Savior, uh, when he went as he was wont, and he went to, to Gethsemane. I think these verses here are just so profound. Mm. He kneeled down and prayed. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That is very profound to me, that the Savior expressed a desire that it be different. Mm. But he was still willing to accept the Father's will. I think that's a very important thing for us to learn. It is not a sin for us to desire something and pray for it as long as we're willing to accept that which is the will of the Father. We, we haven't sinned and nor did he sin. Mm. 43, and in the midst of all this, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Isn't that interesting? The burden wasn't taken off, the challenges of life wasn't taken away, but the Father sent an angel to strengthen him. And then 44, sometimes when we're in agony, we do a number of different things, but what did the Savior do? Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then we read, his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I don't think I can personally comprehend the magnitude and the majesty of what he did. Words don't cover it, but what the Savior did, and, and as he taught us in these verses uh, about kneeling to pray, about being uh, subject to the Father's will, about being strengthened from heaven, and that, that when things are tough— he prayed more earnestly. I just think it's a wonderful gem that mm -hmm. we have right here in these four verses. And then I love it in verse 46, when, so verse, we back in verse 45, he, he rose up from prayer, mm -hmm. he goes to the disciples, he finds them uh, sleeping. And then verse 46, he asks them, uh, why sleep ye? 
And then he tells them, rise and pray. But he had just He just done. went through this mm -hmm. process of praying. He's in agony. Mm -hmm. He receives that strength and he tells them, you go do the same thing. Get up, pray, lest you fall into temptation because mm -hmm. you will receive that strength. Because even though the pain didn't go away, the agony didn't go away, yes. he had the strength to endure it. Knowing and recognizing what they're about to go through mm -hmm. is you're going to go through some hard things, but pray so that you can endure the things that come your way. Doesn't it make you want to go to section 19? It's just to hear his own words about what he says about this experience. And and I just appreciated President Pace, this reference to his, you know, this cup cannot be removed and he's willing to submit. And in every single one of our lives, we will face that moment where it seems like there is no other way. This suffering is important for you. I need you to experience this to know me. In our, in our extremities, you know, that quote from the Martin Handcart Company pioneer who, mm, it was in our extremities right. that we came to know God. And, and when we are there saying, I can't do this, please take this away. And he says, I can't for you, but I'll be with you. I'll commune with you in this, this journey. So you just hear him say, which suffering in verse 18, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, overwhelmed by it, and to bleed at every pore. And of course, there he is in Gethsemane, where, and as a student at the BYU Jerusalem Center, it's so incredible to participate in crushing the olives. And you start with this vat of olives, and then it's crushed with really heavy rocks and pressure. But you then do the second process of pressing, and the pressure that that they have to undergo these olives to then squeeze out what's initially red. Wow. The color is red and you can see it just seeping over the limestone, this red color, and then comes the purified oil. And, and how remarkable here he says, this pressure that caused him to bleed at every pore. And would, it would, as you said, President Pace, would that I might not drink it. <laughs> like all of us, he he's he understands those feelings and then nevertheless glory be to the father and i partook and finished my preparations like your redemption the opportunity to for you to be redeemed completed through the resurrection all the way through the crucifixion into the resurrection i finished it i did it i completed it you have all you need to be redeemed now this you know doctrine and covenants 19 was received when uh, 1830, March of 1830, mm -hmm. 1900 years or so uh, after what we've read about here in Gethsemane. But in Alma, yeah. chapter 7, about uh, 80 years before, before. the before the <laughs> Savior's birth, uh, again, the revelation is coming to prophets to understand this great event that was going to happen with the uh, atoning sacrifice of the Savior. If, if you go to Alma chapter 7, mm -hmm. verses 11 through 13, I have found it fascinating to realize all that happened in his suffering and afflictions in Gethsemane and what it represented. If you go to verse 11, uh, it says, he'll go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. Even though he didn't commit any sins, he'll feel mm. our pains, our afflictions, and our temptations of every kind. Towards the end of the verse, he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. Whoa, my sickness, my illness, he's felt that. 
and I have felt that he has felt it as he has blessed me with health and, and dealing with some issues. Verse 12, he will take upon him death that he may loose the bands of death. He'll take upon him their infirmities that he may know how to succor them according to their infirmities. And then verse 13, that he would take upon him the sins of his people that he might blot out their transgressions. Mm -hmm. All that can go wrong, all that is wrong, all that is unfair, health challenges, hurts, sorrows, sicknesses, death, sin, he carried it all. And it's so wonderful that he wants us to remember it. And so uh, we we read about here in these in these chapters yeah. about about the Last Supper and mm. and uh, and he gives them the bread and the water and what it represents, and then in our day it's every week as we partake of the sacrament to remember mm. Jesus Christ. President Pace, I love how you took us to the past because it's so interesting in in Luke twenty two how this just verse it's a short verse. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And we are at that moment that for 1,400 years, they have, they have looked to, they have celebrated this redemption that happens out of Egypt through these symbols, through the bread, through the bitter herb, through the wine, and the unleavened bread. And here it is. This is the day. This is the day when the Passover lamb will be killed. And so... You think about John's beautiful testimony of the Savior, how he says, behold the Lamb of God. Like, here's, here's the offering. For centuries, they had taken that Lamb into their home. They had killed it without breaking any bones. They'd taken the blood. And I love this receiving the atonement symbolically, right? Every Sunday, every Sabbath, we put his blood on our doorpost and say, this home will receive you. This place wants to have you enter in and, and chooses to receive your redemption. And that's why it's this glorious day of liberation. Every Sunday is a celebration of liberation that happened then and will keep happening. So then they drink the cup. It's the symbolically, the wine is symbol of joy and deliverance. And he has them taste it, drink it before he's offered that, that in Gethsemane a few hours later, and they celebrate just like we can. Mm -hmm. I'm not all redeemed yet. Ben, like, right? The hundreds of times I've partaken of the sacrament is this beautiful process, but I can celebrate in a sense that his power, that blood on my doorpost is, is sufficient for me. So the both of you are one of 10 children. I was raised in a family one of eight. And President Page, um, just to kind of give a, a, a little, I don't want to say shout out, but maybe, you know, uh, a little shout out <laughs> to your mom and dad. What were some of the things that uh, they taught you growing up to kind of put you on that path to following the Savior? Well, we should have had you at the party the other day <laughs> uh, because we had nine of the 10 children there and they each got three minutes to share one thing that mom and dad taught you that has helped you hold on to the iron rod as you have moved forward in your lives. Wow. And there was discussions about learning how to pray from mom and dad. Mm -hmm. uh, there were feelings expressed about paying tithing from mom and dad. 
There were things expressed about love and unity in a family. I mean, there's just a lot of things. Um, but parents, parents, children can inherit many things from parents, but they can't inherit a testimony. And children need to do those things that help them move forward and have experiences with the Holy Ghost that convert them. Mm -hmm. And parents can't do it for them because no one can take away any of our agency, but we can help set the table and we can help we can help lead the witness and help them have those experiences. I mean, it was my mom who said to me, Mark, has, has the Holy Ghost yet told you that these things are true? Mm. And I told her, no. And she said, Heavenly Father wants you to know. Mm. But you need to do this. You need to read the scriptures. Talk about the Book of Mormon. She said, you need to read the Book of Mormon and you need to pray and Heavenly Father will let you know. He wants you to know, but you have to do it. And that's what I was trying to get to is that parents set an example, but we each have to choose mm -hmm. and step forward day by day by day, living the gospel and having those spiritual experiences that bring about conversion. My father was a sheep rancher. He's a shepherd. My growing what? up, I'm the fifth of 11, and mm -hmm. he was a sh shepherd. And I, it's so tender for you to ask, and I could feel that from President Pace. Just how do you express gratitude enough yeah. for parents who, who lived the gospel and then whose witness becomes the foundation of your life? And he, I have very powerful memories of, um, of his, his shepherding us, learning how to work, learning how to do, learning how to give from a place of such profound meekness. I helped him one time stitch up one of our lambs that had been bit by a dog. And he and he just said, Janet, if you'll sit here with me, this lamb will never bite, it will never hurt, and it will undergo all of this pain as you're stitching up the lamb to live. And sure enough, and as we did it, he said, this is why the Savior compared himself to a lamb. The meekness is so profound. And then to have mom, just a life where I've watched as she's aged, her testimony has become even deeper and stronger. And at going through that journey of mortality with its, with its pains and its, its valleys and its shadows and its also high places, that, that rock-solid faith in the redemption made possible by our Savior has just, I, how would we say enough thanks? So thank you for asking. Thank you. I hope that these experiences are happening with families gather around table discussing these things because this has just been so wonderful to feel the spirit together and to learn and i just have this greater sense of desire to strengthen my own conversion so uh thank you both so very much for for sharing uh before we close out uh will you just give us just some some last thoughts as we've talked about some some very sacred things what final thoughts do you have as we finish closing about strengthening our testimonies to the point of conversion and making the atonement something that is very intimate and personal to us as individuals. Ben, you know, as we prepared to come, I know President Pace read these sections dozens of times and, and just the feeling of preparing to come was how do we talk about these sacred things, you know, and excuse me, what it means to have a Redeemer and that he... He did fulfill. And what that means is that in that covenant relationship with him, where he made himself at one with us, and then by his virtue, 
and goodness overcame it all. He wants to walk with us every single day. He wants to be our light and our warmth and our comfort and our strength and our healing every day. And I think that's why that sacrament promise to remember him is a every day receive what he wants so much to give me. That the experiences and pains and sufferings that are inherent to mortality are turned in a different way through the sweetness that is Christ. And so been sacred to talk about it because it is sacred. I would just just share a thought about what is happening in the homes of the Latter-day Saints around the world as we are sitting down at our kitchen table or any table or no table, but as we're, as we're having discussions with the scriptures and reading and discussing and, and being prompted from on high, it is a marvelous thing that's happening. And uh, President Nelson has promised us great blessings as we would do this. Uh, uh, he's, he's promised us that uh, uh, our children would love learning and living the gospel. He's promised us that the influence of the adversary would decrease, that the, uh, our Sundays would be a delight, and that these changes would be profound and enduring. And I testify that it is happening. The blessings that the promised, that the prophet promised to us are happening. And they're happening because faithful Latter-day Saints are marching forward with faith. And conversion is happening. I would just say, Peter was converted. The saints of all ages are being converted and reconverted because of their faith in reading the scriptures and studying the word of God. And, and so we rejoice, extend a huge hug to all the saints everywhere and thank them for their devotion. Certainly the Lord is preparing us for that which is to come. Well, thank you both so very much. I needed this today, so thank you. And thank you all for joining us for this discussion from Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 18. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. Come Follow Up is a learning and teaching resource. For clips, insights, artwork, and additional materials, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Please join us next week as we study the crucifixion of Jesus Christ from various passages of the New Testament. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.